0: to Harvest Australia Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening today. We pray this blesses you and encourages you. And if you want to get in touch with us or find out more about our ministry, please check out our website or social media. We pray you have a great day. I'd love us. Let's stand. I want us to just roar and cheer and clap. Welcome, Phil, here. Give him a warm welcome tonight. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Marty. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Great atmosphere here tonight. God's going to do some good things, hey? Marty and Karen, great to be back with you guys. A few years trying to work out when I was last here. It feels like about five years ago. I'm an Adelaide boy, so I was born and raised in Glenelg, Summit Park, Brighton, went to Brighton High School, So it's always good for me to be back in Adelaide. I do love coming back here and and, uh, it's a special place. And I do have some growing connections on the far north side, out in the hills and to the south. So um, I just want to introduce myself. My name's Phil, my wife Maria, who's unfortunately not here with us tonight. But uh, together we lead our church up in Byron Bay and uh, we're about 19 years into the journey. And uh, we've got a very, very big passion for community and family and uh, building, a, building a really close community of, of lovers of Jesus. And uh, so we're just having a great time, 19 years into the journey. We do all sorts of really crazy things. Um, we run Heart Revolution conferences all over Australia, all over uh, India, Cambodia. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about, about that tonight. Uh, what else do we do? Uh, I, I take teams into big new age festivals and uh, we've been doing that for about 11 or 12 years and we have seen some of the most extraordinary miracles taking place in that environment. We, we set up a booth in, um, these are all on the east coast of Australia, we they, they brought the franchise over here to us to Adelaide um, a couple of years ago but it didn't fly because there was already a bunch of psychic fairs and people were loyal to their those psychic fairs and so when they brought the new franchise in it didn't quite fly but um, so I did come and do two uh, conferences uh, not two, two um, festivals here in, in Adelaide and uh, I, I run seminars I'm a seminar speaker in new Age festivals believe it or not I te- teach on um, hope that doesn't alarm you <laughs> I uh, teach on uh, quantum physics and the supernatural realm and I use I've written a book on quantum physics uh, called quantum glory I published that at the beginning of 2011 so it's about six years old. Um, The science of heaven invading earth. It's it's just an absolute trip if you go down the rabbit hole of quantum physics It's quite intriguing and fascinating. It's actually God's quantum physics. It's how he built the fabric of the cosmos It's absolutely compelling and he can hack back into the system, which is really cool He actually does that all the time He hacks back into the system and every miracle that takes place is actually a quantum miracle Because it's taking place at a quantum level made up of quantum particles because that's what we are all made of And that's what this entire physical universe is made of so anything uh, that you know heaven invading earth it's 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 literally at a quantum level and if you could see it under you know in, in, in immense magnification it would be absolutely astonishing to see god performing you know creative miracles um, yeah, I, I, we, we were in India a number of years ago, and I caught on film, some, some guy had a 1080 high-definition camera, and this guy had one leg significantly shorter than the other. So uh, we got the guy on a chair to come and sit up the front with his le- two legs up, and you could clearly see that one was about you know, two centimetres shorter than the other. So he gets right in there with his camera. I'm thinking, this is interesting. What happens if you try and film this stuff? you know, because I've seen lots of legs grow out, and so I'm standing in front of all these people, and I'm saying, well, we command this leg to grow in the name of Jesus, and literally, I'll tell you what it, what it did, we caught it on film, here's his trouser leg, his leg grows out of his trouser leg pants down near his ankle, so it just went like that, it just, it, it grew out, and we caught it on film, wow. absolutely amazing, I mean, it's indisputable, you can't argue whether we, I command this leg to grow, and it just grew, and, um, so anyway, that, imagine what's going on at a quantum level. You know, that's a lot of new particles. You know, the guy said, oh, I felt that. Oh, whoa, whoa. He actually felt it grow. It was actually in his femur. He said it was like the femur grew. And he said it was hot and he felt it. And so you know, if you could see that under you know, incredible magnification, you've just instantly got a few uh, trillion, trillion new quantum particles that came into existence. And that's what Jesus does. He de- dematerializes body parts, and he materializes new body parts. And the language of materialization and dematerialization, that's the language of quantum physics. And uh, so very fascinating stuff. Um, just quickly, I've got a couple of other books here. First of all, I'd like to talk about my wife, which is, uh, her new book, It's called The Glory Community, and this is book one, and it's building heaven's culture. What it's really about is John 17, that they may be one, that the world may know, and the power of community and oneness and unity and uh, hosting the glory. It's all about, you know, hosting the glory. This is what John 17 is all about. And um, this is volume one. She had so much to say on the subject. She went up writing two books. So anyway, that's, that's there. I only bought about 10 of each of these down from Adelaide on the plane, uh, today. I just flew in at uh, 5.45 p.m. Um, I've got a three volume uh, three volumes of a four-volume set here. This one's called The Knowledge of the Heart. It's volume one. It's part of what I call the Supernatural Transformation series, and it's a primer to get us on page with heaven and God's agenda to transform our hearts. So that's volume one. Then this is my favorite, volume two, The New Creation Miracle. This is an absolutely mind-blowing Revelation. The deeper we go into the re- reality of what God has done inside of our spirit, it's just a, a, amazing. And so, in this book, I look at it from about you know ten different camera angles, and then sort of put it all back together. and And, um, and that's the new heart that God's given us. It's so cool. And then the third one in the series is called the Heart Journey, and. Um, actually uses the principle of quantum entanglement to look at our entanglement in Christ, but how we've still got other entanglements that Jesus is disentangling us from so that we can live in the full glory of our entanglement in Christ. Um, So I'm actually just about to release volume four in that series. That's the last one in the series. And that's called The Glory of God and Supernatural Transformation and uh, I've been writing that for a couple of years and actually no I only started writing it in October and God's just given me grace to just get it out because it's been inside of me it's the stuff I've been preaching for a number of years so just kind of flowed out once I got a chance to to write Um, so it's coming out uh, the beginning of June this little booklet's called the New Gnostics Um, not quite sure if you're aware but um, there are certain um, teachings that are sort of seeking to hijack the uh, outpouring of the the Spirit at the moment, and, and the the whole what I call the glory movement. It's it's a very broad movement of people in the church that are now talking about encountering the glory realm. Not that uh, you know, I can only imagine what will it will be like. You know, surrounded by your glory, what what will my heart feel? I mean, that that's kind of like putting it off to the future. The reality is, through the new birth now, we have you know, unlimited access to the glory realm of heaven. We can actually encounter the glory realm. So I call it the glory movement, but there's a lot of teachings that are taking people into some pretty interesting stuff at the moment and uh, stuff about aliens and all these extra-biblical revelations and, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a fringy thing, but it's out there. And the Gnostics, you know, they tried to, um, to basically overthrow early Christianity. You know, Judaism was the first great threat to Christianity, the entanglement of the law. And then uh, the second great threat was, was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is all about knowledge. And it seeks to pull us into our heads and an engagement with God in higher realms of knowledge and, and understanding, a bit like the New Age in some ways. you know, It's sort of a higher revelation thing. And uh, so anyway, if you're interested in that, and you, some of you may even be aware of what I'm talking about, um, there's a number of teachers, they come through Adelaide from time to time and, and they sort of are enticing the church into this higher revelation than, uh, it actually goes beyond what the apostles taught. So anyway, that's, there's a bunch of those that's up the back there if you're interested in those. Okay, got all that out of the way. There's also some um, audio stuff up there, but you know, I just travel with that stuff. And I, t- I travel a lot and teach and so I have sets of teachings and it's all out the back if you're interested. All right, now let's get on to what I really want to talk about. Um, I mentioned the heart revolution before. Um, what is the heart revolution? Well, Jesus began the heart revolution 2,000 years ago when he um, brought the, the revelation and the encounter of the Father's heart down to earth. I mean, that's the ultimate game changer to bring the Father's heart into a very broken world and a very religious world, by the way. I mean, Jesus just happened to come at a time when religion was just, you know, off the charts. It was like hectic religion. and And so, you know, Jesus wanted to call us into a heart encounter with the Father, and that's what he was all about. So really, he began a heart revolution 2,000 years ago. But what's happened, and we all know this, religion's come in and and taken the church off into um, focusing on our own uh, striving, um, performance, self-effort, keeping the rules and regulations, everything except engaging with the glory of the Father's heart. And I'm thinking, okay, probably one of the greatest antidotes to religion in the church today is to have a heart that's engaged with the Father, you know, where we're journeying deeper into the Father's love. Now, Paul said that we are being transformed into a very specific image, and that is the image of the Son, Um, Romans chapter 8 he says those whom he predestined sorry those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and so what is God doing well I believe he is conforming your heart to the image of the heart of Jesus Christ the beloved son of the father that's what he's doing and the goal in that is to bring many sons to glory So that he can have a great company of sons and daughters whose hearts are connected with the Father, connected with Jesus the Son, connected with one another. And that's really the essence of John chapter 17 and Jesus' prayer, that our hearts would be knit together as one and it would be such a powerful thing that God's glory would just fall out of heaven because God can't stay away. You know, when his people dwell together in unity and in love, he just pours out his glory. And and Jesus said that... Um, you know, by seeing this unity, this oneness, and us being loved by the Father as Jesus is loved by the Father, that the world will know and that the world will believe. In other words, this is missional. There's a missional element to this. John 17 is undergirded by this missional vision, vision that the world will know, that the world will believe. And so we've just got to take that at face value and go, okay, God, you're up to something, and it's got a lot to do with hearts being knit together. And so Jesus brings this heart revolution. He brings his son and places his son in the middle of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And the the son, the word son, it immediately speaks of father, doesn't it? If you know there is every son and daughter in this room has a mother and father whether they're alive or not you have a father and mother or you had a father and mother and so word the word son is very contextualized isn't it it comes with a context and and you put the son in the middle of the world and it's all about the father he says you've seen me you've seen the father you've seen my if you, if you encounter my heart you've encountered the father's heart and so Paul said we're being conformed into the very image of the Son. That's what God is doing in our lives. And the Sonship journey that you and I are on is a journey from um, living under the tyranny of the old orphan heart and going on a journey of getting freed from all of the orphan thinking and the orphan behavior and all the orphan ways, which is, you know, humanity disconnected from God on a journey where Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, right? And then the next thing he said, but I will come to you. And the cool thing about that is that Jesus tells us what the problem is. We're orphans, orphans in relation to our heavenly father. But he says, I'm not going to leave you in that orphan state. I'm going to come to you. And by coming to you, he literally means coming "Ah!" Inside of you, you know, literally all the way, not just to you and presenting himself to you, but to come into you and to live inside of you. And God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. And we cry, have a father, just as Jesus cried, have a father. And so you're on a sonship journey. That's the, that defines the journey that you're on. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you believe in Jesus, but you are now on a sonship journey and you're somewhere on that continuum, somewhere on that progression into conformity to the image of the sun. So the heart journey is the sonship journey. The sonship journey is the heart journey. And I feel like that's the language that God has been speaking to me about, just this, this theme of sonship. So God sent His Beloved Son. Simple but powerful. John 3:16. We all know that verse so well. Turns out this is a major theme in the Bible. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 20, verse 9 to 16. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's about a, a vineyard, and um, the, the owner of the vineyard went away to a far country, and then it was the uh, time to, to gather the grapes and, and do the vintage thing. And um, so he sent. Um, a servant to try and get some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the, uh, the vine dressers beat the servant and send him away empty-handed. And as Jesus tells the story, he sends another servant. So servant number two does the same thing, beats the guy up, throws him out. Number three sends another servant. And then he gets to this point like, what am I going to do? He actually says that. What shall I do? The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? And this is the answer. He says, I will send my beloved son. Probably they'll respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is prophesying. This is what's going to happen. Israel is the vineyard. And so servant one, servant two, servant three, these are the God's servants, the prophets. He's sending a series of prophets because he wants fruit from his vineyard But then he goes, what am I going to do? And telling the story, Jesus said, I will send my beloved son. And that is the heart of the father to send his son into the world, to send his son to us. And so I saw a parallel between this passage in Luke chapter 20 and Hebrews chapter 1. Now, you know Hebrews chapter 1, Um, pretty familiar. Uh, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Servants the prophets, one after another. God speaking um, through the prophets at many times in, in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir. There's the heir thing again. that We just looked at the whole thing about the heir. And uh, the heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he's the creator. Who's into the Passion Translation? Brian Simmons, give me a wave. Yeah, I love it. Man, I love it. It's like the last installment is coming out. Uh, Well, two more installments, actually. I think it's in another month or two. Uh, Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is coming out. Then finally, Revelation comes out, I think, in July. And that's the New Testament. Then, no doubt, Brian will go on to produce a single volume New Testament, maybe with the Psalms and Proverbs thrown in, because he's done those as well. But anyway, I'm a big fan, really, really big fan of Brian Simmons' uh, Passion Translation. I think it's just going to have a huge impact upon the church. I want to read this passage to you out of the Passion Translation because there's something in there that just jumped out at me when I first got Hebrews and I started reading it. I didn't get past the first two verses. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by His prophets in many different ways. The revelation He gave, gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days... God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. Now, that immediately arrested my attention. The old version I used to read says that uh, God has now spoken to us by his son. But the Passion Translation says God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. And then I connected that with the word. In the beginning was the word. Um, Who's ever heard of the Voice Bible? Anybody heard of the one two, three. A couple of people have heard of the voice Bible. It's really cool. I've been really enjoying it. Um, Anyway, because it says, in the beginning was the voice. In the beginning was the word. And so Jesus is, he's, God speaks through Jesus, the son, but it's the language of a son. In other words, sonship is a language. And So Brian puts this little footnote, Um, At the bottom of the text, he says, we speak in English. God speaks in son. For Jesus is the language of God. How cool is that? The sonship of Jesus is the language he now uses to speak to us. Because everything that the father wants to reveal about his heart, about his nature, his glory, is expressed in Jesus Christ, who is the visible image of the invisible God. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. That means every word, every action, every nuance, every facial expression, everything about Jesus becomes the perfect mirror image of the Father. So God wants to speak again to our world through the language of sonship. And so this sonship journey that you and I are on is of extraordinary prophetic significance in the unfolding of God's redemptive purposes through the church. And so, let me just read this to you out of the voice. John 1.1. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. Isn't that good? Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. And then later on, verse 14. The voice took on flesh and became human. And chose to live alongside us. Come on. We've seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor. The one true son of the father. So Jesus is the son of God. The eternal son of the eternal father. And God pops him into time and space. For us to get a perfect vision of what God is like. And now we can't say we don't know what the father's like. I um, used to be a vineyard pastor, and um, in the vineyard way back, 20-something years ago, they always had this emphasis on this verse, only do what you see the Father doing. Who knows that verse? Yeah. I mean, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And I'm thinking, great, that's cool for Jesus, right? He only does what he sees the Father doing. And I'm like, well, I can't see. You know, I'm like, that's not that helpful for me. So I had this experience once, and I was in a um, one of these New Age festivals, and I was um, up on the stage, and we did music, which was really good music, and uh, just created a really beautiful atmosphere of God's glory. And then uh, we got up and we did words of knowledge for healing and called people out. And I had this word of knowledge about a deaf ear, and we'd seen ears pop open right in, right before our eyes. As we've called it out, sometimes we've seen the ears just pop open. But This guy was on the back row, and he's waving like I had. It was about um, a completely deaf right ear. And this guy's waving and I'm, I'm just, because I've done this stuff before where I've just decreed the healing energy of Christ into their body and they've just been healed right there. Like a, this woman who had a, um, um, she, a whiplash in her neck, I had a word analogy about whiplash, she got healed completely. Anyway, I just decreed the healing energy of Christ coming to this guy's ear, nothing happened. and I'm like, oh, dang, you know this is not going to plan and everyone's kind of looking at me you know it's one of these moments because i mean this is this is not a bunch of christians this is a bunch of i mean this is like doing miracles in the marketplace. It's like all eyes are just locked on. And I'm thinking, all right. So my plan B is I actually will go and lay hands on the person. So I went down the back and I put my hand on the guy's ear, holding the mic and decreeing the healing energy of Christ coming into his ear and nothing was happening. And I was like, oh, gee, this is not good. And all these people, their eyes are riveted on me. And so I hear the voice of the Lord and and he says, only do what you see Jesus doing. I'm like, what would Jesus do? WWJD. <laughs> he would open the ear. And the moment I heard that rhema word in my heart, only do what you see Jesus do, I thought, boom. And I just I said, just, I command this ear. To, and it's like it just sort of catapulted me into this dimension of faith. And I was just like, I just released the healing energy of Christ. I command this ear. And it opened in front of everybody. And the guy, whoa, what the heck? You know, he's blown away. But I, the, the takeaway for me was just do what you see Jesus doing. What's the Father doing? What Jesus is doing. What's Jesus doing? What the Father's doing. So we can't say anymore we don't know what the Father's doing. We've seen in Christ what the Father does. So anyway, sonship. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, His mirror image. The sun is the mirror image image of the Father. So we come back to this verse, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't walk around condemning people. That was the Pharisees that were doing all the condemnation. And Jesus said this, God sent his son into the world to condemn, not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So the thing I've been realizing is God's solution is always to send a son. Why? Because sending an orphan won't do. Sending an orphan into a situation is not going to produce sons. An orphan will reproduce after his own kind. It's pretty scary sometimes, and I've been in churches where orphans hold the microphone, you know, where the senior leader years and years ago is like, 30 years ago, I was in a church, and, and it was actually in Adelaide. Um, and <laughs> I'm having a flashback. And, uh, and this guy was up the front of the church, and he was eyeballing the church, and he didn't like the church. He'd just been sacked by the church, uh, by the elders. And he gets up, and this is his parting shot, and he stands there and he goes, Shame, shame, shame. Sick, sick, sick. I mean, he, he just unloaded. I mean, he backed the truck up, and, like, um, you know. That's an orphan in the pulpit. I mean, that is scary. Give an orphan a microphone. He can create mass destruction instead of just, you know, destroying one or two other people. (laughs) So sending an orphan is not going to do it, right? Sending the father sending his son, it was his master stroke. It was a stroke of pure genius. And this whole idea of sending the son it it, it actually conjures the the whole apostolic framework. You know, Jesus is called our um, apostle and and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 3.1. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. So Jesus is the consummate apostle. Now, here's, here's the thing. The word apostle is apostolos in Greek, and it occurs 81 times in the New Testament. But the word send is apostello, and it occurs 148 times in the New Testament. Now, what it means is apostolos means a sent one. So every time you see the word send, God sent his beloved son, it, it actually conjures this image of an apostolic mission, that Jesus comes with an apostolic mission. It's interesting, this word apostle, um, it, it, it was actually a commonly used word Greek word, before Jesus came on the scene. And I've been reading about this. Some of you may have heard of this. Um, The the word apostle was used for the leading ship of an armada of Roman ships that are going to conquer foreign lands and bring them under the dominion of Rome. And so they would call the lead ship the, the apostle an apostleship. And the, the, the apostle would be at the front of this uh, armada of ships and their goal was to conquer another land and then <clears throat> transform that uh, conquered land into being just like Rome, with Roman laws, Roman customs, Roman everything, bring in all the Romans. <clears throat> so that if the emperor was to visit that new colony, it would remind him of Rome. Now think about that. The whole idea of apostleship is to colonize. And it's this whole heaven invading earth paradigm, which is what the apostolic is about. It's bringing heaven's culture to earth so that, you know, if we could create a culture here in this church or in any church, if we can create heaven's culture, Jesus would feel right at home. That's the idea behind apostleship. So an apostle is a sent one. God so loved the world that he sent his son. That's the apostolic. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God is going to give us his beloved son. So Jesus becomes this, you know, the, the consummate uh, apostle. And First and, and John 4 verse 9, John said, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son. He sent His Son as a sacrifice. Here's a thought. The Son of God on the cross became an orphan so that the orphans can become sons and daughters. Isn't that incredible? When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that wasn't just hyperbole. He was forsaken of God because he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Pretty good deal. In the Gospel of John, the apostolic undergirds the entire narrative of the Gospel of John. I'm not going to go into all these verses, but I've discovered over a dozen references throughout, sprinkled throughout the whole Gospel of John, about um, the Father has sent me, the one he has sent to you, the one he has sent, um, the Father who sent me. I've not come of myself, but he he who sent me is true. Um, I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. And it's all the way through. It runs right through the whole Gospel of John. And really what it's saying is that Jesus came on an apostolic mission from the Father to bring his world to our world, to colonize um, earth with heaven's culture. And even this idea of Jesus being the apostle and high priest, a priest, is, it's an interesting role. What's the role of a priest? It's literally to to stand between two worlds where you're, you're standing between heaven and earth and a priest stands in that place and a priest represents heaven to the earth and the priest represents earth to heaven. And so a priest stands in this place of representing God to the people and representing the needs of the people back to God. So it's a mediatorial role. And Jesus is our, is our high priest. And he brought his world down to our world. And obviously in the last few years, there's been this big focus on heaven invading earth. And, and that really is the very essence of the apostolic. And you know, the, the, the heaven's first strike as a result of the atonement of Jesus was to regenerate your spirit and give you a brand new spirit, which is actually a spirit of sonship. God has not given us a spirit of fear leading, a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but he's given us a spirit of adoption or a spirit of sonship whereby we cry, Abba Father. That's your spirit. He's imparted his spirit to your spirit. Paul says, He who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6:19, I think. He who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Here's how crazy this is it's not clear anymore where His Spirit ends and your Spirit begins. Or where your Spirit ends and His Spirit begins because your Spirit has become one with His Spirit. But to do that, for your spirit to be joined to his spirit, God has to do a regeneration miracle upon your spirit. And this is the whole prophecy, uh, a new heart I'll give them, a new spirit I'll give them, and I'll put my spirit in them. But he's going to give you a new spirit. And Paul talks about the washing of regeneration. Now, that word regeneration in the Greek, I'm a Bible teacher, so I'm pretty interested in Greek words, sometimes. Sometimes. That Greek word regenerate for regeneration is palagenesia. And it means genesis again. Palagenesis. And so you experience a genesis experience of a, of a brand new beginning and you become a new creation in Christ. Concerning your spirit, old things have completely passed away, all things have become brand new. You are a brand new spirit being. Sin has been removed from your spirit. You don't have a sin nature in your spirit. You have the divine nature. We are partakers of His divine nature. So Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the sinful nature. Colossians chapter 2. God did this re-Genesis deal with your spirit, gave you a brand new spirit. Why? So that your spirit can be joined to His spirit. Because if your spirit was still filthy with sin and full of unrighteousness, what fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? Can't, Jesus can't be joined to that. Yeah. He can only be joined to a brand new spirit. And so you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Your spirit is in Christ. Christ is in your spirit. Your spirit's joined to the Lord and God becomes the father of spirits. That's who, who, he's, who he's called in the book of Hebrews. So this miracle that God has done is just, it's, it's heaven's first strike. I mean, once yeah. Jesus died, God could then go on to do this Genesis again yeah. miracle in our spirit. And that's heaven invading earth. Heaven has invaded earth in the spirit of every born again believer. Yeah. A total miracle has been performed upon your spirit. You've been made perfectly right with God. That's what righteousness means, the free gift of righteousness. And so now we, our hearts can be fully exposed to heaven. Paul puts it this way, therefore, having been justified by faith. Now justified, that's the verb form of the word righteous. Having been made perfectly righteous, with perfect right standing before God, by faith, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Perfect peace because it's total reconciliation. There's nothing more that God can do for your spirit than he's already done. Totally reconciled, perfect right standing with God. And Paul says, "And um, what is this? therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And uh, we've entered into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Every Christian now rejoices in the hope of the glory of God. A couple of verses later, he says, and that hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Because you're born again, nothing can separate you from the love of God anymore. Literally, nothing can change what God has done in your spirit. If you do sin, it doesn't impact your spirit because otherwise you'd need to be born again again. But you'd still need to repent and you need to be cleansed of all unrighteousness from your soul because, you know, the Word of God says that there's been a separation between soul and spirit. Brand new spirit, but your soul, well, that's still kind of pretty old and it still needs a lot of renewing, you know. The inward man's being renewed day by day, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is being renewed. Your emotions are slowly being transformed and healed. Your will is being transformed. So the, <clears throat> the focus right now is on what God's doing in your soul. Very good. There's nothing more He can do for your spirit. Did you know that? In 10,000 years' time, there's no more upgrades. In fact, Hebrews 12, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the innumerable company of angels and the general assembly of church of the firstborn. And it says, and we've come to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That's the spirit, the spirit, your spirit of righteous sons and daughters, men and women brought to completion. The word is teleos. Your spirit has been completed. The work he's done in your spirit cannot be upgraded. It just, there's no more upgrades for it. Your spirit burst into life, out of death. You passed from death to life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. Your spirit just went, like that, just, it just... And you wouldn't know necessarily. I mean, I've seen some people get saved and just go crazy and jumping up and down. But other people get saved when they're like six, seven years old. Who, who doesn't know when they got saved? He's got saved growing up. There's a lot of people who I, I talk to, they don't, can't pinpoint when it was. It wasn't like a, an extraordinary conversion at the age of, um, you know, um, 19. For me, it was, I think it was 18 or 19 And I came out of the drug scene, and I can really pinpoint when it was I prayed that prayer. But a lot of people don't know. But but there was a moment when you weren't, and then there's a moment when you were. And and when God performed that miracle, He imparted His Spirit to your spirit, and now your spirit is in His spirit. Actually, it's who's into IT. I love that verse that God will be a wall of fire around about, (laughs) and the glory within. You know, He set up a firewall around your spirit. Sin cannot enter because your spirit is nestled into the spirit of Jesus. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. You're in Him. Your spirit is in Him. It's inviolable. That's the theological word. It cannot be violated. It can't be touched by sin. It can't be touched by demons. And your spirit is now full of the divine nature of Christ. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. There's nothing more He can do for your spirit. Man, I wish I could have seen it, you know, like in the spirit realm, what happened when I got saved. Do you know what a, um, you know where black, black holes come from? Dead a dead star, that's right. A black hole, which is like this vortex of infinite gravitational energy to the point where, you know, on a pinpoint, there's almost like unimaginable dense matter it's just down to like a very small point and you know nothing can escape the gravitational pull of a, of a black hole but that black hole was once a bright shining star in the out in adam and eve in the garden you know when they would have been so glorious before the fall but then the the day you eat thereof you will die their spirit just died snuffed out And suddenly, it became like a black hole. And the interesting thing about a black hole is that you go anywhere near that thing, it's going to (laughs) to suck you in. And isn't it an interesting analogy to say that humans are like black holes? Because we've got the vacuum cleaner on. We're like, (laughs) (laughs) we're we're sucking all the time, trying to get the needs met. Like, can you help me? (laughs) Give me significance. Give me affirmation. And so we're all you know. (laughs) And sometimes you meet people and they've just got the vacuum cleaner on. It's like the the human hoover, you know. It's like, like, oh, you feel a little bit sort of, you know, defiled because they're kind of trying to get all their needs met from you and it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, your spirit, which was once Adam and Eve were glorious. Their spirit was glorious. And then suddenly it all just collapses in on itself. But then when you get born again, if you could see that, oh, I'd love to see the movie. I'd love to see a dead spirit that's defiled by sin instantaneously made alive in Christ, made new. It's literally like, like, you know, it's like a cosmic explosion. And suddenly we shine like stars. Paul says you shine like stars. Jesus said the righteous will shine like the sun in their glory. And so your spirit is alive and it's a spirit of sonship. Spirit of adoption. Hebrews, uh, Romans 8, 15. God's given us a spirit of adoption. He's adopted your spirit. And to have an adopted spirit, that's the spirit of sonship coming into you. That word, huiothesia means to place as a son. God sets the solitary in families. He set you in the Father's heart. It's done. It's finished. And now you can just, Jesus said, go into your inner room. When you pray, go into your inner room. Go in there and just close the door. That's stepping into your spirit, man. That's who you are in him. Instantly to the top floor, right to the very top, you know, right to the penthouse, instantaneously. I went on that um, elevator in Taiwan called the 101 Tower. Has anybody done that? Man, that's fast. It's like about eight seconds, and then suddenly you're at the 87th floor or something like that. So it's fast. And uh, anyway, it's kind of like that. You step into your spirit. You are there. You're in the presence of God fully. Your spirit is continuously engaging with with God. It's fun. All right. So, as I was saying, we now have unfettered access to the glory of God. And and Paul defines it for us. He said our hope, we're full of rejoicing in, in hope of the glory. And he says the hope, that hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is being poured out into our hearts. So what is The glory. It's his love. In fact, if you look at John 17, the glory that you've given me, Father, I have given them. I pray that they would be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. When we think glory, and I've seen some pretty hectic glory, I've seen glory clouds in Bethel one time, and the glory cloud turned up. You might have heard stories about that 18 times, I think. The glory cloud appeared and I, I saw the glory cloud. And I've, I've seen the glory manifested in other places at different times. I've had the privilege of being in some pretty big revival stuff where I've seen the glory on a number of occasions. And of course, every time I see the healing, that's seeing the glory, right? Yeah. But, you know, I think the, 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 the pinnacle of glory is the Father's love. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get more glorious than that. Yeah. Perfect love. And you know the thing about the Father's love? It's a unique kind of love, foreign to this world. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called sons and daughters. What manner of love? The focus is on the unique quality. There's a translation of the New Testament by a guy called Kenneth Woost. He's a Greek scholar. And he says, Behold what manner... No, not what manner. Behold what exotic love the Father has lavished on us. You know what exotic means? An exotic plant is a plant that comes from another place. God's love is exotic. It's from another world. Behold what manner of love he's lavished on us, that we should be called his sons and daughters. God wants to speak to Adelaide and every other city through the language of a son. The foundation of your sonship journey is the miracle that God has performed inside of your spirit. Spirit of sonship. Boom. Instant. You're there. You get grafted in. You get placed right in the white hot center of this eternal relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You get plonked right in the middle of it. And then you read the Bible and, and, and the lights go on and you go, Oh, okay. Okay. Wow, that's big. Better start getting used to that. You know, the early church called it perichoresis, mutual indwelling. Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and and I'm in you, and you're in me, and I'm in, and, you know, that, that language, that's perichoresis, that's mutual heart indwelling. He lives in us, we live in Him. That's where your spirit is located. You're seated in heavenly places right now. Now we all need hectic doses of new creation revelation. We do. I travel around a lot and I'd preach, and, and I, I share this kind of stuff because I love it, and I wrote a book on it, by the way, New Creation Miracle, that one there. It's only 10 copies. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> when I wrote that, I just went into revelatory ecstasy, because I looked at it from about, you know, I don't know, five or six different camera angles from there, from there. From there. And then you put them all together. It's like a composite image. And it creates this incredible tapestry of revelation of what God has done inside of us. And the revelation of what God has done inside of you is transformational in and of itself. You will be transformed just by that incredible mind-renewing reality because what actually happens through our journey into discovery of who we are, God's introducing you to the new you all the time. He's constantly introducing you to your new you. What's happening is you are starting to see yourself from heaven's perspective. In fact, the renewed mind thinks from heaven to earth The unrenewed religious mind is always thinking from earth to heaven, reaching, striving to to reach out to heaven. And it's, it's a whole different gig, right? It's like man striving for God, man seeking, groaning, trying to reach God. That's religion. But this is heaven invading earth and the renewing of your mind. How do you know your mind is being renewed? Because you start to see yourself the way God sees you. That's pretty significant. Yikes, running out of time here. I'm going to tell you a story. Jesus told lots of stories. Uh, he told the story of the wheat and the tares. And in that story, it just went right over the heads of the disciples. They had not a clue. They didn't explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, they said. "What's?" Jesus said, you know, he, uh, about sowing the good seed and then the enemy comes and sows Seeds and and they're like, What was he talking about? So they went to him afterwards and they said, What was that all about? And Jesus answered and he said, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The one who sowed the good seed is the Son. Jesus, the Son, is sowing the seed. He says, the field is the world, so this is sowing seed out into the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. Son of is a Hebraism, that's a Hebrew term, Um, you know, Jesus used it all the time, sons of thunder, son of perdition, sons of light, sons of darkness, Uh, Barnabas later on was called son of encouragement, what's it all about? When you use that term son of, you're calling out the defining characteristic of a person. So, you know, the sons of thunder. They wanted to, you know, crispy fry the village, you know, (laughs) press the nuclear warhead button because they, you know, didn't receive Jesus that day. Let's just nuke them, Jesus, essentially. (laughs) And, you know, called them sons of thunder because they're wanting to rain down fire and brimstone on the city. And so um, Barnabas, great example, um, son, I think his name was Joseph. And they called him Barnabas. Meaning, son of encouragement, and uh, and so that's what that's how the word son, what what it means, it, and so to be called a son of the kingdom. And that word kingdom, it's it's the Greek word basileia. It means realm. It's a son of the realm of heaven. It means that the the defining characteristic of these sons that the Lord is raising up is that they carry heaven. And Jesus wants to speak to the world again through the language of a son, and he wants to sow beloved sons and daughters into the world. Now, the, the, the most defining attribute of a beloved son is that we have been receiving the adoptive love of the Father. Behold what manner of love. It's adoptive love. That when we receive this, this adoptive love of the Father, it delivers us from the old orphan heart. It doesn't all happen overnight, but it's a journey. It's the sonship journey. It's the heart journey coming out of being an orphan, thinking like an orphan, behaving like an orphan, talking like an orphan, to becoming a beloved son. And God wants to speak to the world again through beloved sons and daughters. And here's the thing. A beloved son and daughter who is maturing in the Father's love carries an adoptive heart. We actually get this impartation of adoptive love into our hearts so that we can then move out of an orphan mindset and orphan behavior. Now, orphans, you know, you think about an orphan, I mean, a real orphan. um, They don't have father or mother. they, They don't have a home. They don't have a sense of family identity. They don't have a sense of belonging. They're just orphans. Where's your mum and dad? Well, I think they were killed in the war. I don't know where they are. You know, don't even know what they look like. Don't even know what their names were. I just was found during the, the war and when I was adopted. And so an orphan, it's a very contextualized word. But the most distinctive feature of an orphan is that they don't have adoptive love. So the father bestows the gift of adoptive love on our hearts and it transforms us on the inside. And it it enables us to move towards our brothers and sisters and our spiritual family and actually be able to say, you know what, I adopt you. I adopt you as my brother in the Lord. I adopt you as my spiritual mum and dad. Um, I adopt you as my sister, you know. Uh, It's it's an adoptive heart. And this is what God is wanting to, to do in the church in this hour so that He can speak to the world through the language of a son by transforming us so powerfully through the adoptive love of the Father which is a real ongoing and deepening experience of the Father's incredible love, that it transforms us and we become heaven's adoptive agency. And we can go out and we can adopt people into the family of God. We can move towards people. And see, an orphan's freaking out. They're moving away in fear because people are scary. Their whole experience is rejection, abandonment, fear. And, And when you're moving in fear, you're like, whoa, let me away from this person, you know? How can I put some walls of protection And the whole thing about fear and love is just so infinitely powerful. You know, being delivered of fear means that we can actually move towards other people with the adoptive love of the Father. And then we can go on to become community builders. We can go on to build families because we've got this incredible thing of of God pouring His adoptive love into us. Freely you receive, freely give. We love because He first loved us. So he lavishes that love on us. We now have unfettered, unlimited access to that love. So we need to get on that journey of letting that love transform our hearts. Jesus said he was anointed to heal the brokenhearted. How's he going to do that? With the Father's love. He's going to heal hearts. You know, Paul really got this whole thing. In Corinth, things went pear-shaped. Paul planted a church. And it may or may not have been Apollos, but somebody came along and they started moving the goalposts from Paul's foundation of the church, which was built on the foundation of the Father's love, on the foundation of the spirit of adoption. Paul moved in an adoptive anointing. He became a spiritual father and mother to the to the um, the, the converts in, in Corinth. And then this dude comes along, or a bunch of dudes come along, and they're... Largely affected by Greek thinking, and the Greeks are all about knowledge and all about wisdom. Sophia, Gnosis, that's, you know, the Greeks seek after wisdom. And what it did was it moved the church in Corinth that Paul planted with a strong sort of Hebrew relational paradigm. It moved it off that foundation onto the foundation of knowledge. So Paul's writing to the the, um, Corinthians, and he says, you know, we, we all have knowledge. It's kind of like, so what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Though I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries, but have not love, I am nothing. What's he trying to do? Move the church back onto the foundation of family, love, the Father heart of God as the foundation of the, the community of God's people that they all may be one, as you and I, Father, are one. So he's writing to the Corinthians and he's like, he's trying to correct this whole thing that's gone completely pear-shaped. And so this is what he says. I'm going to read it to you. It's quite intriguing. Let's see if I can find it. Here it is. Though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, here's the thing. He says, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you who is my faithful and beloved son in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways. I'll show you a more excellent way, the way of love, as I teach in every church. Brainwave, where did he get this idea from? I will send my beloved son. He even said about, um, uh, what's the guy's name, Onesimus, he is my very heart. That's what he said about Anesimus. He's my son. He's a true son. He says he's my my very heart. So he knew he could send Timothy because Timothy carried the heart of the Father to solve this crisis that was going on in the church. You know, really, this whole uh, transition of what God's doing in the church in, in this period that we're in is really framed around two verses in the upper room discourse when Jesus was with the disciples. He said to them, as The Father loves me, I have loved you. Right? John 15, maybe, 14, I'm not sure. Later on, after he was risen from the dead, he said, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. Can you see that? That's the apostolic paradigm. It works like this. Loved, then sent. Because if you send someone out who's not secure in the Father's love, they're not loved they're still carrying the heart of an orphan. They're not going to be able to produce sons and daughters. Christ was a son over his house. Moses was a servant over his house. Christ was a son over his house. But when you send a son, they're going to carry the heart of the Father, the adoptive love of the Father. It's a whole different gig. And and God is actually having to shake us up as Western Christians and get us out of our Western fixation with knowledge, information, etc., into a more Hebrew sort of paradigm of, of, of the family and the father who loves us and, and so on. And so this is what God's doing. And the, the great, I think the greatest thing that Jesus did when he was on the earth was not teaching people how to raise the dead, how to cleanse the lepers, how to heal the sick, all these things. He was with them. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. John 13 verse 1. The Passion Translation says, and now he wanted to show them the full measure of his love. And he loved on those guys day in, day out, three and a half years of solid father heart ministry. till they were so secure in the father's love. They could take the weight of Pentecost glory, which was about to come and not fall on their feet on day one and get tangled up in religion again, but stay connected to the father heart of God. Someone once said that the last great revival is going to be a Father's heart movement. I 100% believe that. You know, we're, yeah. we're, going, we're coming into a season where we are being loved by the Father so that we can be sent by the Father. As the Father loved me, I've loved you. As the Father sent me, I send you. It's the apostolic paradigm. It's not about people wearing the apostolic, you know, the, the carrying the card or wearing the T-shirt. It's carrying the heart of the Father. The true apostolic is the Father's heart. And, they, and true apostolic sons and daughters build family. They build community. They pull people in together. They, make, they raise up temple builders who get the vision. Hey, there's something going on here. God wants to do something so great by building this temple as a habitation of His glory that the world will know and the world will believe. It's, I mean, there's no plan B. There just isn't a plan B. And a lot of times people get the message, go, because the Bible says go, right? And they think, I better go. So they go. And sometimes you have avoided those people on the street corners because they've got a microphone and they're standing on a box and they're terrifying everybody. And they're out there preaching wrath and they're preaching, you know, all this judgment stuff. They don't even know the love of the Father. Ah, You know, like they're out there just doing this thing. And it's like they're the scary ones because they don't know the Father. Jesus actually said the day's going to come, they're going to... Kick you out of the, the, the synagogue, they're going to put you to death, and they're going to do all these things because they don't know the Father. Wow. Where does all the bad religion come from? People not knowing the Father. Yeah. Yeah. We want to get back to a deep, rich tradition of knowing the We're Father, the knowing His love, receiving it, allowing it to transform our lives. Yeah. I want you to stand with me. Very good. <clears throat> I want to invite you to assume the position, which is either put your hands out before the Lord or put your hand on your heart or lift your hands into the air or whatever you want to do, but just get into that zone. And I want to decree over you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, God has imparted an extraordinary miracle to your spirit. You are a brand new creation. Concerning your spirit, old things have completely passed away. All things have been made completely new. All things new. He's imparted his divine nature to your spirit. As he is in the world, so are we. As he is righteous, so are are we. We are as righteous before the Father as Jesus is righteous before the Father. And God has adopted you into his family. And he's made you a beloved son and a beloved daughter. Jesus took the disciples into what I call the upgrade in the upper room. Begins with John 13, verse 1, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. As the Father loves me, I've loved you. He took them into that environment on the last night on which he was betrayed, not thinking about the suffering he was about to go through the next day, but thinking about them and thinking about their hearts and how much he valued their hearts. That's the entrance to the heart revolution. To when you get a glimpse of the value that the Father places upon your heart, immense value. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? You're more valuable. He can create another world, but he can't create another you. His value for you is something we will never fathom. He has absolute value for your heart. And this is what Jesus did with his disciples. I reckon he would have taken each one of them and held their face in his hand and just looked them in the eye and says, as the Father loves you, I love you. And he would wash their feet that night, probably with his tears, prophesying personally over each one of them. Strengthen them, Lord, decreeing strength, ministering to them, Three and a half years of perfect value for their hearts. That's the great achievement of the training of the 12. The rest of the stuff, signs, wonders, miracles, incredible words of knowledge, cleansing lepers, resurrections from the dead, all icing on the cake, all just the fruit of this glorious sonship gift that God has brought. So Father... I pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus, that you would just pour out the spirit of adoption upon us. It began at the new birth, but who said it stops? It never stops. It never stops. But it grows with intensity. As the father just says, I adopt you. I welcome you into my family. You belong in my house. You are my beloved son in whom I am supremely stoked. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am supremely stoked. I have made you right with myself supernaturally. I have transformed your spirit with a Genesis again miracle. I've given you a brand new start. I've brought you into perfect right relationship. With myself. There's nothing you can do to add to that. But just go into your inner room, step into your spirit, and luxuriate in infinite glory as God radiates the glory of his perfect heart upon you. It is so incredibly transformational. It is designed to bring about supernatural transformation, something the world doesn't know anything about, something even millions of Christians tonight don't know anything about. It's the transformational glory of the Father's love. And you have total access, total access, access unlimited Every time you come before the Lord to sit at his feet, to read his word, to sing a worship song, to listen to a worship CD, to engage your heart with God, you are being radiated by divine radiation therapy. Jesus is a royal heart therapist. He is ministering night and day to your heart to heal you, to transform you, to impart his glory to you. Father, I thank you for every beloved son and daughter standing in this room tonight. Father, come right now. Spirit of adoption, just welcome the spirit of adoption. Some of you may have never encountered adoptive love before. You may have heard of it. You may have believed it even for many years. You may be able to tell others God is love. We don't want to just go back to the word to be reminded in our minds that God is love. We want to come to Jesus tonight to allow him just to radiate us with that divine adoptive love from the Father. Just just tell him right now, Father, I just open my heart to you afresh. I open my heart wide to you because you're safe. You are safe. You are are perfectly safe safe and I can open my heart 100% to you I might not be able to open my heart 100% to certain other people because they're a little scary but you are not scary you are perfect love and you cast out all fear and you are transforming your bride, you are loving your bride into a place of incredible glory and God has incredible plans for every single one of us to become part of this giant adoptive agency that just adopts people. We're the Father's adoptive agency. We become the Father's house. We carry the Father in our heart. and, And he just wants to release that adoptive love into you tonight so that you can give it away. We love because he first loved us. We adopt because he first adopted us. And he speaks over you tonight. He says, I adopt you. I've always wanted to adopt you into my eternal family. I adopt you. I receive you. I welcome you. I embrace you. You belong to me. You belong in my father's house. Just receive it right now. The Lord's just all over us in this place. He's overshadowing us with the glory of his love. Marty said tonight, Father, come and baptize us again in your love. There's nothing else. Nothing can take that place of that outpouring of just adoptive love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. I just want to prophesy, you are a company of people who've been called out of darkness for such an hour as this, for such a time as this, to build an environment together as cultural architects to build an environment to host glory. It's all about hosting the glory of His love. We come in one way and we go out another way because of the transformational glory that we now have unlimited access to. Just receive it right now. To say, Father, I receive a fresh impartation of your adoptive love into my heart. Fresh impartation right now. Can we have the worship team come up? Just begin to just gently, very, very gently just play over us. Father's song, he sings over us you feel the peace in this place tonight he just imparts so much peace deep peace and i want to prophesy over you that he's raising up a company of royal heart therapists who are receiving his royal heart therapy but then we're going to go out sown like the good seed sons of the kingdom sown out into the world. We carry this capacity to wrap His glory around others, to wrap a sense of family and community around others because of the depth of what He's doing inside of us. It's so deep. It's so rich. It's so powerful. And the fruit of it is an army of royal heart therapists being raised up who've got so much to give. They're just looking for who they can lay hands on, who they can pour their heart out toward. So Father, we just decree an epic outpouring of the glory of your love right now, Lord. Just pour out the glory of your love. Jesus said, the glory that you've given me, Father, I've given them, I have given them that they may be one, one with each other, one with the Father, one with the Son, one with one another, and that the world would stand up and take notice because of the explosion of His glory that's taking place in the midst of His church. Thank you, Lord. Do something powerful here in the city of Adelaide, Lord. Shake the city of churches, not with religion, but with glory with your glory, Lord, with hearts that are engaged, hearts that are on this incredible heart journey, this sonship journey, this revolution that Jesus began. We just decree newness right now, newness. He's just refreshing. He's refreshing your heart. He's just hitting the refresh button in your heart. He's refreshing you. He's renewing you in, in, in his love. Thank you, Lord. More, Lord, more. More, more. Just say more, Lord. More, Lord. Pour it out upon us, Lord. Pour it out upon us. We are your people, Lord. We are your sons and your daughters. And we are being transformed from glory to glory. Thank you, Lord. Just let the Holy Spirit just minister to you. We've got a few more minutes just before we can go home, but... Just let him minister to you right now. You don't need anyone to lay hands on you. Let Jesus lay hands on you. Let the Father wrap his glory around you and immerse you in high-level heavenly glory tonight. Oh, Lord, deeper still, Lord, deeper still. The Lord says, come up here and I will show you how I see you. I want you to see yourself the way I see you from heaven. I want you to see through heaven's eyes. no longer define yourself according to the flesh, but to be defined by God. He says, I have bestowed a royal identity upon every one of you. You don't need to strive to try and generate an identity. Receive the identity of beloved son, beloved daughter that I have bestowed upon you. Just receive it. The world is striving to generate an identity. The Father gives it to us as a free gift. Just receive that brand new core identity, beloved son. Listen to his voice. Night and day, he just whispers it over you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. You're safe in my arms. Thank you, Lord. We're being acclimatized to glory. It's our new address. It's our new existence. God alone can define who we are. He's defining you right now. He's speaking over you and He is defining your core identity, built on the foundation of Genesis again. God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shone into your heart. Genesis again. Let there be light. Let there be light. Thank you, Lord.